You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Doreen Canelli, and I'm here with my husband, Jack, to host and encourage you to listen uh, to real the, the remainder of Real Presence Live. I have a reminder here that our spring Feed My Sheep drive begins next week, Tuesday, May 12th through Friday, May 15th. We invite you to call in and financially support your Catholic radio station. We literally cannot do what we do without your help. It's a spring live drive next week, Tuesday through Friday. Last time when you introduced me, I was your handsome husband. You're still handsome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well... We're really happy today. We're Of course, we're going to get out of the usual news cycle and talk about coronavirus today a little bit. But we have Dr. Paul Carson, who is an infectious disease specialist and public health specialist. He's also a tenant enthusiast and a good neighbor as well. And so, welcome, Dr. Carson. Good morning, Jack and Green. Pleasure to be with you. Yes. Um, before we get into the, uh, the the questions that we sent out ahead of time, uh, some other ones kind of came up, and one of them I think is probably uh, one I, a lot of people would like to hear from you about. And it's kind of like there's a lot of information floating around out there, and uh, what, in your opinion, is kind of the most common misinformation? Sure. So I. I probably get, I don't know how many texts or emails a day with, have you seen this, or did you know about this, or did you consider this? And it's usually some kind of um, off-the-wall statement coming from somewhere that that is often misinformed or misguided. And I understand where people are. I mean, people are confused by this. They're afraid, and they want to cling to sort of anything that might dispel what seems to be the conventional wisdom. Um, but uh, I, I really would encourage people to look to what are reliable sources, uh, and in my opinion, those are public health experts and medical experts and um, not what's sort of the latest thing on Facebook or YouTube or um, TikTok or whatever. Uh, but I'll, a couple of things that I hear frequently are, um, you know, why are we being so uh, aggressive about this? Why are we doing such restrictive measures? This is no different or only maybe marginally different than seasonal influenza. And uh, that's quite wrong. This is significantly different than seasonal influenza. Um, and here's, here's where there's often, uh, this gets a little wonky here, and, and you got to give me a second to try and throw some math at you, but it's important for people to distinguish this. So when we look at seasonal influenza, you will often hear um, things like, about, you know, 35,000 people die a year of seasonal influenza. And that is what is reported from the Centers for Disease Control. Uh, and, and we have bad years where it can be even higher than that, 50 or even 60,000 deaths. And we're sitting at a little, close to 75,000 deaths from coronavirus in the United States, which would make this a pretty bad flu year. Here's the, here's the problem with doing that sort of comparison. When the CDC releases data about influenza deaths, it's an estimate of a mathematical from a mathematical formula. They basically say um, for every pneumonia death, heart attack, st- 
stroke in the United States that happens over the flu season, we can mathematically derive that we expect X percent of those are influenced by influenza. It's not because influenza was on a death certificate or on the, on the you know, a discharge or death um, summary of a, a hospital. Where with coronavirus, that's exactly what it is the vast majority of the time, that it has to be ascribed directly to that virus. If we were to also add on um, all the heart attacks and strokes and other pneumonias that we think might be being influenced by coronavirus and not being counted, it would be far, far higher. So we're already, uh, even with that miscomparison, significantly worse than the average flu year. Um, but it's not apples to apples. And I, and I frequently will point out, if you take the hardest hit areas of the United States, New York, New Jersey, there are literally um, semi-tractor trailers being converted into refrigerated morgues parked out of the side of those hospitals to handle the bodies. That never happens in a bad flu season. That just is not something that we see. This is very different, and, um, and we need to take it very seriously. In fact, if you really kind of do the math on this, this comes closer to what was experienced uh, with the 1918 Spanish flu than any seasonal flu. It's, it's, it's not going to be as bad as that, but it's, um, it comes closer to that than what we see with seasonal influenza. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Here's the other so thing. There. So there. You asked about misinformation. Here's, here's the other misinformation I sometimes hear. It's like the, the government is trying to make doctors put coronavirus on death certificates to inflate the cases. No, uh, that, that is not correct. Um, what has happened in some states, like, for example, in Minnesota, where they had uh, really terrible testing capacity for quite a while, still aren't, uh, they're, they're still at literally about half the rates of testing uh, per capita is North Dakota. Um, the health department gave guidance saying, look, we know that we can, we're not testing all these cases, and we know that some people may be dying of coronavirus in the hospital, we, we suggest that you put it as a possible contributing factor on a death certificate if that person uh, had symptoms compatible and may have been exposed to somebody with coronavirus. That is a very reasonable thing to do. That is not government you know, conspiring to inflate the numbers. It's the government trying to uh, capture uncounted cases, uh, which, are, uh, which, which is really our bigger problem. So the, what we hear about the government kind of awarding money to states per coronavirus-related death is not true? Uh, there is uh, uh, some awards of money that are based on that, which is definitely needed. So if you are experiencing more deaths uh, in your state from coronavirus, um, you, you will get uh, more federal support to try and battle that. Um, and and so it is in states' interest to try and capture all the cases that they're experiencing uh, in order to have the dollars to fight this, which are desperately needed. So these, these are not conspiring things. These are appropriate uh, responses to a public health pandemic crisis. Thank you. Okay, it's, it's been a while, uh, Dr. Carson, since you've been on the air with us. I think it was uh, last month or so, but the... I guess when it comes to coronavirus, that can be considered a long time, the way things are changing. <laughs> Have things slowed a little for you, or where are we right now? A little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, at the beginning of all this, I mean, it was quite literally kind of 16-hour days solid with, you know, teleconferences, video conferences, phone calls, uh, you know, meetings trying to 
to manage this, and I, I wear a number of different hats. Uh, I'm a medical director of a, a nursing home. I'm I'm a consultant to the health department. I teach in the public health program at and graduate program at NDSU. Um, th- those have all been very busy, but it is there's a little bit of a rhythm to it now, and a little bit of a pace that's a little more manageable, thankfully. Um, and uh, I think um, to our North Dakota governor's credit, he's really gotten us. Uh, um, a lot of testing capacity, which has given us a, a more clear picture of kind of what's going on and, and a little better idea of how to respond. Okay. Uh, well, what message would you share with listeners about things that are being asked of them? Because there's yeah. some mixed signals out there. There's even, you know, things as, um, you know, especially as things open back up, um, you know, like social distancing, wearing a mask right. if they can, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. So I, I would just first say to everyone, you know, be charitable and kind about this. Um, people who may have a differing view who are afraid of uh, one aspect of this are, are not idiots and not, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, fools on this. We are be- literally between the proverbial rock and the hard place. Is coronavirus a real problem? Is it a pandemic? Is it a threat? Is it killing more people than um, we would uh, than seasonal flu? Yes. Has the uh, cost of social distancing and, so, and shelter in place and isolating and the closing of businesses harmed individuals financially, mentally, uh, psychologically, um, and maybe even to some degree physically? Yes. Um, these are these are difficult and choices on either side that we have to navigate our way through. So be charitable to one another as we try and figure out the way to balance these. And it's going to be an ongoing balancing act. And so as we go forward to open things up, we can expect that case counts very well may increase, and we, we will have to balance that against the very real need to get people back to work and, and to get the economy going again. Um, to do that well, I think we, we continue to do our very best to practice social distancing. We do our very best to especially shelter the older, more uh, vulnerable people of our communities um, and, uh, and, and be respectful of one another, masking when we go out in public. We don't have great data on how well that works, but it might be helpful and and there's no real downside to that. Let's let's you know do that when we can uh, as a charitable act towards the other. It, it actually we think it does more to um, benefit the other person than protect ourselves by not ejecting infectious droplets from somebody who has no symptoms. So I, I just encourage people to you know uh, be patient, be charitable, uh, trust in the Lord on all this. I mean, ultimately he's he's in charge, and um, and uh, try and. Try and do your best to be good to one another. Yes, he is in charge, and I think he's letting us know that quite clearly on this. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah. Now we mentioned in our in the introduction, we're talking about return to normalcy, and normalcy is uh, put in quotes there. Mm-hmm. And do you uh, foresee a timeline on when things might return back to normal? And again, that normal is in quotes. Yeah. I'll give you my sort of uh, public health medical opinion, and then I'll give you my very amateurish uh, theological opinion here. <laughs> so um, on the uh, public health medical side of things, it's going to be, it's going to be a while. 
Um, we are we don't get out of this until we hit herd immunity, which means sixty to seventy percent of the people being immune. That's either through vaccination or through getting the infection. To have sixty to seventy percent of the population get this infection will be a lot of deaths, a lot of deaths. So we don't want natural infection to be the way we get there. Uh, we have to sort of hold out for a vaccine, which you know, there are projections that we could have one by January. That would be that would change everything. You know, the theological part of this, I just listened to a father, Mike Schmitz, uh, Michael Schmitz's um, uh, homily, where he kind of talked about, you know, we as Christians, uh, he's the St. Peter talks about in First Peter that uh, he gives the line, you know, conduct yourselves reverently during your time of the parochia, during your sojourn or exile, that, that there is no normal for the Christian in this world. Uh, we, we live um, for Christ and for uh, our ultimate heavenly home, and so... We should be comfortable with non-normal as Christians. Um, and so that's my, my amateur attempt at uh, uh, kind of thinking about this from a Catholic perspective. You, what I'm hearing you say, Paul, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful comment, is this is what has been given. And yes. we receive it trusting in our Lord. And Exactly. To- mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and I think, um, you know... Uh, Putting our faith, putting our faith in God, no matter what, no matter what this outcome is, is is where our ultimate peace and um, and and our ultimate comfort comes from. I, I actually had a lot more sense of my own personal meaning of Divine Mercy Sunday this, um, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago with, um, you know, the the caption with uh, uh, that you know iconic painting of you know. Uh, trust in Jesus or trust in me, mm-hmm. and um, and I it struck me a lot more during this time that uh, that's really kind of all all we need to do and to hang on to. You know, normalcy is what you're you're asking me about. I it really like I said, it doesn't come really until we get a vaccine or until there's a heavy toll from the infection passing through much of the population. Ultimately, though, we should be comfortable with non-normal because uh, this isn't our ultimate home. Well, we'll we'll continue our interview, but I want to thank everyone for tuning in this morning to Real Presence Live, and uh, I'm your host, Jack Kennelly, along with my wife, Doreen, and our guest is Dr. Paul Carson, an infectious disease and public health specialist, and we're talking about what else, the coronavirus, and uh, we're talking about kind of what normal might be, and so uh, I guess... uh, the next question is that uh, Dr. Carson is normal might be an interesting word right now, and what you know, does a return to normalcy look like after going through this pandemic? Right. So I I think you know no, the normal for the foreseeable future is some degree of this ongoing social distancing, which I, I think is hard. You know, I mean, we are by nature social animals. It's, it's not easy. Um, I think normalcy will be uh, being very, very ready and willing to uh, comply with uh, public health authorities when you get called saying, looks like you were a contact of, uh, of a known COVID case. We'd like you to quarantine yourself at home for 14 days uh, um, and, and until we can show that you're not infectious. We need to do that for one another. Normalcy is going to be um, some modicum of changes in business practices where businesses have to be conducted in a way to space people out, uh, to do as much as we can by uh, um, remote 
uh, you know, telecommunications and so on. I foresee a lot of my teaching is going to be online in the in the fall, um, most likely. Um, but I think once we get to that, either either a vaccine or a blockbuster drug that and and those are both not uh, you know we don't know when those are going to come. I, I do think you'll see people returning to you know normal behaviors and normal patterns um, pretty quickly because. We tend to try and forget stuff like this, uh, um, you know, and put it in our rearview mirror uh, as soon as it's uh, the immediate threat is gone. Although I think some things are probably here to stay. I, I suspect we're going to see a lot more meetings and business conducted uh, via Zoom or these different um, uh, video conferencing. I, I have a feeling that's going to, and telehealth, you know, we're seeing that in the medical world. I have a feeling that might be here to stay. Dr. Carson, what would be, you, you had said earlier, um, in order to hit herd immunity, we'd have to have 60 to 70 percent of the people have um, had the um, coronavirus and recover from it. Uh, right. Or, or vaccine. Or vaccine. Right. right. Okay. Yep. So um, a question that I hear um, fairly often these days is, why aren't we hurrying that? Why are we, why are we trying to slow that down? Right. Yeah. So if you do the math on that, so if you sort of just, so, so, so this is the approach, for example, Sweden is taking this approach, just mm-hmm. kind of let it go and maybe try and protect nursing home folks. Well, uh, two things happen with that. If you do the math on that in the United States with what we currently understand about uh, the mortality rate of this, and we're, we're getting a much better idea of what that is now, that's close to a million people dying of this to get to the 60 to 70 percent. Uh, to me, that's an unacceptable toll. Um, and the second presumption is, well, herd it towards the younger, healthy people. Well, let me, let me ask you, how do you, how do you protect uh, a nursing home uh, when it's young, healthy people living in the community who are having it herded towards them, uh, go there to work, to feed the people, to bathe them, to care for them, and so on? Trying to imagine that we can put a true firewall between the most vulnerable in our society and the healthy is, uh, at best, very, very difficult, and at worst, uh, a pipe dream. Okay. Well, um, since we got about two minutes to go, uh, what kind of lessons do you think we are learning from all this? I would hope, as an infectious disease specialist, people are actually learning the idea that uh, infection control precautions are to be taken seriously. But what other things are going on out there in your mind? Um, I, uh, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things I was having a conversation with my son about all of this before, uh, I got on the radio with you. And, um, one of the things I, I've, I've just, it's just been an observation is, um, how, you know, my son observed, like, you know, typically, a, a, a big threat to the whole population unifies a population. And I'm, I've just been a bit flabbergasted to see how it's divided us, like, uh, into, like, how can a virus you know, uh, divide uh, people along camps, and I, it, it honestly doesn't make sense to me. I, again, I, I get to the lesson I'm learning, and I get that people are scared and they're confused and there's maybe con- conflicting bits of information out there, but um, it, it is, as I said, the proverbial rock in a hard place. There, there, it is absolutely true this is a serious virus. It's absolutely true that the measures that we have to take are, are, are onerously burdensome. 
and we ha- I just think we have to really be charitable uh, and do our best to be kind to one another about it because um, that's the only way we get kind of through this without making things worse by dividing into camps. Um, we've learned a lot, you know, in the medical world and public health world, which is probably you know, more than you want to go into here. Uh, I, I found myself humbled by this, by things that I said four weeks ago that I'm like, boy, I was way wrong on that. So uh, some humility here is really in order because we learn more and things that we said, uh, you know, even a couple of weeks ago uh, change. Right. Yeah. It, it seems like it's a pretty dynamic uh, environment out there. I, it does. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I just saw uh, on an AOL or a news uh, headline this morning where a gentleman who had uh, – basically claimed all of this to be bunk, just recently died of the coronavirus. Well, well, it's unfortunate. Um, Yeah. Yeah. um, Right. And, you know, I've been sent, I I just, also I would, you know, encourage people, like when you get sent videos of people talking about deep state conspiracies and and things like that, I I just, um, try take that with a big grain of salt. I mean, uh, um, there's reasons that, uh, people are on the fringes or on the fringes uh, with stuff. Um, and uh, I, I know the people that work in public health in our state health department. I know a lot of the people that work, for example, the CDC. They are very dedicated, uh, bright, thoughtful people who really just want to do the job to make uh, the country the safest possible and keep us the healthiest possible. Uh, there, there is not. Uh, I, I know of no one like that that, that um, has any ulterior motives other than the best interests of our of our um, cities and towns. Okay, great. So, with, that, with that, Dr. Carson, I'm sorry I'm going to have to jump in here because yeah, we're getting towards the end, and Gregory's getting a little bit anxious there because he's <laughs> got to give us a preview of the next show, and we've got a hard break coming up. Thank you very you much, bet. though, Dr. Carson, for being on with us again. Thank you so much. Thanks. Yep, thanks for having me. Have a good day. Yep, you God too. bless you. Bye-bye. Okay, Gregory, it's your time. It's my turn to talk. Coming up um, on Monday's show, our hosts will be Father Tim Beeren and Matt Wilkham, live from St. Charles Church in St. Charles, Minnesota. We'll visit with seminarian Michael Churchill to discuss how he's ministering to those in need during this time of pandemic. And we'll visit with an artist to learn how you can encounter beauty through prayer, prayerful art and the joy of being a children's book author with author Terry Michaels. All this and a lot more coming up on Monday, next Monday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. And back to you guys. Okay, thank you, Gregory. Well, we thank everyone out there for for listening today. We uh, hope you, we, we had some good information for you. And uh, we and Doreen and I enjoyed being your, your hosts. Yes, and happy Mother's Day to all of those uh, women out there who are spiritual mothers and biological mothers have a great weekend yeah i'll close with a a quick one i'm reading a book about anti-gravity it's impossible to put down (laughs) i I get get it it. i get it (laughs) this has been real presence live on the real presence radio network real presence live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area weekday mornings from 9 to 11 central Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live, local, engaging, and live.
on the Real Presence Radio Network.